Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Thanks for that, Polly. Well, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight is my panel. The leader of the Social Democratic Party, William Cluson, commentator Andre Walker and Nigel Nelson, who's the political editor of The Sunday People. And you know the drill by now, I'm sure. It's not just about us, it's about you at home. What's on your mind tonight? Get in touch with me and let me know your thoughts, either on what we're discussing or what you think we should be that we're not. You can get in touch with me, gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at GB News. Don't forget, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube, download our app, take us with you on the radio. We're everywhere. So wherever you are, you are very welcome. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're thinking to yourself, is Michelle going to go on about Partygate tonight? You might be pleased to know, no, I am not. Uh, I cannot bear it. Uh, All this ridiculousness about these pictures and parties and Prosecco's. It is so absurd. I can't bear it. I don't even think I've got it in me to do it again tonight. I've always said, though, if you are a regular viewer, you'll know I've always said that if indeed there is a substantial development, then of course it would be remiss of me not to do it. So if indeed uh, this report comes out, you know, I think I, I suppose I'll have to, won't I? I say it reluctantly, <laughs> Nigel. You will have to, I'm afraid, yeah. Uh, I say it reluctantly, ladies and gentlemen. This time tomorrow. I just think, oh, anyway, like, that's enough of Partygate. So if you're listening and you're thinking, is she going to get into it? That's me done for tonight. That'll do. I'll cover it another day. Right. Uh, Anyway, um, what am I talking about? Oh, yes, I'm talking about MPs. How can I forget? I wouldn't normally be bothered, by the way, about a resignation of a would-be Tory councillor in Preston, but... John T. Campbell, what a name, he's resigned after he tweeted about how young girls smell buttery and creamy. If you missed the start of my programme, I'll save you from uh, me reading it out a second time, but I'll put it on the screen in case you are indeed interested as to what he said. Uh, It's offensive, bizarre and certainly very weird. But given that a Tory MP was jailed this week as well for sexually assaulting a young boy, uh, and this is rife, by the way, this is not all these investigations and all this kind of stuff. This is not just uh, about the Tories. There's 50-odd MPs under investigation uh, at the moment, cross-party, and it kind of got me thinking about what are the checks and balances for people that want to serve in public office. I started doing a bit of digging, William. You are the head of a political party. It seems, surprisingly, that there's not kind of a a generic kind of uniformed you know, if you want to stand and serve in public office at whatever yeah. level, by the way, council or parliament, then these are the terms that you adhere to. It's not quite as straightforward as that. Not really, no. Every party has its own system. Um, I think what every party should do, I mean, certainly what we do in the SDP is, is do a CRB check, do a criminal records check. Mm-hmm. And you can't be a council candidate in our party without doing that. That's a minimum requirement. But, you know, the Tories have their sort of old-fashioned uh, boards down that they go away for a, for a weekend and, and see if you can speak or debate or whatever. Um, I've actually passed one of those in my brief time in the Tory party. You slipped so in the net. Yeah. Every, everyone, has, yeah everyone has different uh, systems. But, I mean, part, partly a story like this, this is very strange what this person said, uh, but there are 20,000 councillors up and down the country, if you include parish councillors, even more thousands. So on the numbers, you're going to get some weird people 
creeping into the system, and, and parties will do their very best. I mean, even to be a member of our party, we'll, we'll check you out before you... I mean, very few, I mean, very sensible if you join our party, but occasionally people come up, and if there's any doubt, we say, no, we're not having you. Andrew Walker, what's the matter with you? Because whilst he's talking, whilst he's talking, you're shaking your head. It's, it's, what's going on? It's just really easy when you've got 15 members to check them all out. It's a bit more difficult if you're Ooh, the Labour Party. Oh, a little dig there. No, I, I, it's Please not, leave. It's, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a dig, and actually, you know, Nigel Farage is a presenter on this, on this show, and he said it was incredibly difficult as party leader to justify every single person that had ever been associated with his political party. Look, I totally disagree with the premise of what you said, and I really disagree with you. But for me, it's not about the vetting. So I'm, I'm a Conservative. I, I was a Conservative political advisor, worked at City Hall, worked at Parliament, all the usual caper. We, you know, we do the CRB checks, we do the background checks, we get references, we get uh, even your, your, you know, some details from your financial history. But the critical point is, I live in a safe parliamentary seat. When we interview you for our parliamentary seats, and I'm not criticising my local MP, if you get the nomination for the Conservatives in my seat, then you'll win. And you will win for 30, 40 years. And absolutely no interest in that beyond beyond what happens then. You know, you look at someone like Neil Parrish, you know, the real the reason that Neil Parrish was able to watch pornography in the chamber tractors, was the bloke, tractors, tractors. Well tractors, okay. Well I mean I mean he loved tractors, okay. But you know, you're talking about somebody who the day he was selected for Seaton and Honiton, it was a job for life. And he was never going to be scrutinized after that. So for me, it's not about the initial checks. It's about saying why on earth can't we, after every single term, for every Every single councillor for every single MP say you have to have a full. So, some parties do deselect people. I mean, yeah, yeah Labour Party do that. But it, but, it, but it doesn't happen very often. No. I mean, I'm sick of this phrase, it's my seat. Mm. Well, actually, you know, mm. if, if you were to... I mean, you've run businesses. If you were to employ somebody for four years, that would be reasonable. You wouldn't interview somebody for, say, Kensington and Chelsea and say, well, here's your job for 30 years without any scrutiny. So you be... think that the parties, once you've successfully been elected, your, your reckoning is you've almost got to earn the right to keep that seat so you would have regular yeah. kind of sanity checks, uh, making sure that you are the right person for that job well, within I, the party. I mean I, wouldn't, I, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as what you've said, though I don't particularly disagree with it. What, what I would say is, look, you know, you, you, you win your selection for one term of office and you have to fight it again. You know, Nigel has spent years in uh, Parliament. He's a, he's a young lad, but he spent a few years there. But, but, but you know, you, you will know that there are old lags who've been there for 30 years on all sides of the divide who really don't achieve very much, but because they're in such ultra-safe seats, they're never going to be scrutinised. Is yeah, I mean, the one, thing that, well, the one thing you can have is if they do misbehave, you can have a recall. And a recall means that you need 10% of the electorate yeah. uh, who would say that we'd like a by-election in, in that seat. So um, they're, they're not, you know, they are scrutinised to an extent. And I think the problem here um, is that the you do go through a proper process before you can become an MP, that they do go through your Twitter account, yes. they give you the police checks, you need three references, um, and then you go through it through a pretty uh, stiff selection board. But you're on about the Tories. This isn't the same for Labour, or is it? Well, it is. I mean, it's quite similar. It, it is broadly the, same, broadly the same system across the board. The problem is when the system breaks down. And we've just seen that with um, Imran Ahmed Khan, you've just mentioned, who's just been sentenced to 18 months, that his victim, a 15-year-old victim, wasn't 15 at the time, obviously, but... Um, 
he got in touch with the Tory party and told them this man was not fit to be an MP because of what he had done to him. Mm. Now, what we don't know is what happened to it after that. He made the complaint, that seems to be accepted, but the Tory party has no um, record of that complaint being made. Question is, why not? A serious complaint like that mm. should go through into a procedure. It should be, be elevated really quickly to make sure that that is actually dealt with. And but I, no, that, but, sorry, just just point of uh, clarity. Uh, if I'm right in thinking, Nigel, um, this whole, the guy that's just been jailed, the cause for concern was actually reported to the police when it happened. I think it was about 2008. Yes, yeah. but it was logged with the police. So actually, theoretically, that should have been quite an easy thing to sanity check. No, someone... no, no, not, 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 not at all. No. Why? Because if you if you do a basic criminal records, what they call a DBS check, uh, developer, you know, vetting and barring. Um, that's only going to show up spent and unspent convictions. Yeah, it's right. not going to show yeah. up arrests. It's not going to show up juvenile convictions. It's not going to show up cautions. Now, so that can... would have still slipped through the net. Yeah, but, it wouldn't, yeah, but, yeah, but, it wouldn't. but remember something else about it. The reason it doesn't show up, it, and there will be people watching this show who have been arrested and criminally investigated and not prosecuted, who will say, well, why the hell should I be barred from public mm -hmm. office? Because I was investigated and then no, effectively no exonerated yeah. from, from those allegations. Mm, interesting. Um, see, lots of you, lots of people here are kind of at that point that you just made about having a job for life. I wonder if that kind of does breed a bit of a sense of ah, I can relax now. Because I think if this, like in my job, for example, I think right, okay, you've always got to try and do the best job that you can do. There's lots of people that will want to do this, that, the other, and I think you're always permanently on your toes. Whereas if you get elected in a safe seat, to your point, I think there are a lot of people yeah, that it, think, whoa. But just, but, just, but just to explain to the viewers what your job really is, your job is to encourage people to watch the show in order to sell advertising revenue. So what you will know, and I don't know what it is, what your viewers are every single day, and you will be updated on that regularly. Look, if, if this show got a million viewers, whatever you did, no matter how good or bad you were, that would be the equivalent of being in a safe parliamentary seat. Even if these guys are dire, they will still win. Now, that doesn't mean that all of them are dire. It just means it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't, say it doesn't say anything about the vetting process at the start. I mean, you can have a brilliant vetting process and you still won't know something. Something will crop up. That's later. true. And that's what I talked about the population. What the interesting thing about politics is, you, you know, you, you get stories like this about local councillors and UKIP councillors saying that, you know, the uh, gay marriage called, caused the floods and it gets in the press. Very interesting. But what's a broader point is why MPs, people at the top, parliamentarians, appear to be overrepresented in, in terms of criminality than the general population. I mean, there's lots of problems. It might, it might be because they're more highly regulated. I mean, I don't know. It could be, but, it's, but it's an, do you accept it's an interesting, a very interesting question? Without, without, yeah. or without, the nature, without, or the nature of a person who actually decides to, to go, go into in. politics is a risk taker. Yes. Yeah. And I think that the that that's the reason that they um, they live on the edge. Mm. Um, the whole power thing is a uh, um, uh, it really sort of infects them, and because they know that it's a very slippery slope, you can be up one moment down the the next and so on. They take risks and that's why sexual misconduct, financial misconduct, I think is so common amongst politicians. But, that, but, that's, but therefore, if, I mean, an issue for us always politically is that Parliament doesn't represent the divides, doesn't represent the hinterland. It really doesn't. I mean, Brexit yeah. proved that, it doesn't. And so on that basis, if, it, if, if, if Parliament re represented the people more, 
were more representative, but have less criminality. Well, do, do, you know, do you know, I discovered a statistic, right, and I'm not going to say the street, but there are more members of the House of Lords living on my street than there are in Lancashire. Now, that's because I live in the southeast of England <laughs> in a town called Windsor, and that's not the royal family. I'm not talking about the royal family, but when you're talking about over-representation, there are certain areas... Now, I'll tell you what, if I lived in Kensington and Chelsea, I reckon I would probably live in a borough that had more members of the House of Lords than probably the whole of North, Ning North but England. I, but I found something interesting, and you'll know more than me if this is indeed your party, because the Tories, we mentioned that you need three references, mm -hmm. but one of those references, correct me if I'm wrong, needs to come from someone within the party. Yeah. But you see, for me, this is where I think politics is fundamentally broken because I think that really what we need is new, different people, like your average person yeah. coming through into politics. Yeah, but, and yeah. if you can only get into the Tory party and one of the ways is you've got to know someone that's already in Mates there, rates. then you're just yeah. breeding more yeah, But you have a I, I, no, there I, I, be a personal I, reference too. So, I mean, your you three references... Three. You need three. You're, you'll get it from your uh, boss or employer. Yeah. You'll get it from um, Is it, is a party it possible member. one of your family's been through this recently? Amazingly <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. Because you're meant to be a left-wing journalist. <laughs> but I'm on about the third one. So the third and one... And a personal reference. I think, I think, it's, I think, I think, I think it's incredibly difficult, because what's incredibly difficult is when we introduced... when Labour introduced this CRB thing, there was just this obsession with the idea that the minute you background-check somebody, they're safe for life, right? The reality is, unless there's been an allegation made against you, unless somebody's going to say something about you, it's impossible to know. Mm. And, and I think the vetting is incredibly difficult. And, and that's why I say, and I know I'm banging on about it, that's why I say there needs to be a continual process of reappraisal. Just because I'm an appropriate person today, though I'm probably not, doesn't mean that I'd be appropriate in one year's time for, for a variety of potential reasons. I actually agree with that. Mm. I, I think that it's... It breeds, and I think the media has a lot of responsibility for this, Nigel, because we do stuff like we put um, MPs on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I think that the media in this country contribute to this whole kind of notion of that an MP is somehow a god. They seem to think that they're somehow Well, I don't a god. think they should do that. I mean, I, no, I, I, I don't, don't think they should go on, the, on shows like that. I think no. there's been a... Ah, but, error but, I, I, but, hang on, Nigel, but hang on, Nigel, if you think about it, if you took off, if you said to the, the Mirror Group who you work for, I'm taking... Eight weeks off to go to the jungle, they would fire you. Yeah, absolutely. There is, there, is quite no, right there, is, there is no mechanism to fire a member of parliament who takes eight weeks off. If I decided as a member of parliament the day I got elected to never go to Westminster to move to Barbados on the 100,000 years... We have had MPs who've done that. They've done that. Some, Nothing some, would some happen. Have, some have done that. Nothing yeah. would happen. Well, Warren has just emailed in and said, Michelle, I think that nominated members of parliament should be asked to sign the Official Secrets Act to stop leaks. He says, I hope this email actually gets to to Jubes and Co. It did, Warren. Uh, what do you think to this, William? Should MPs be asked to sign the Official Secrets Act? No, I don't think so. It's a separate category. I mean, it's a different category. The solution to all of this is to get a wider variety of people in Parliament. Parliament doesn't represent the people. It really doesn't. So but anyone more... can stand for election. I know they so... can, but the, process, the, the gatekeepers of this whole system are the two big parties in their selection processes. And funnily enough, they actually, largely, the parliamentary parties are indistinguishable. They have very, very similar values. By the time they get there, they went to the same universities, have the same all thoughts. All very left-wing. Yeah, all, 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 all Liberals, actually, basically. All very left-wing. And the answer all, to the question, the point, by the way, is the point every is, MP is covered by the, you, the Official Secrets Act. Yeah, so, they, so this uh, is the, the same way that everyone around this table this is covered by the This is the bit that people don't understand. The only reason you sign it is to say you understand it. But actually, there is a process, by the way, Michelle, in answer to that question. What they tend to do with members of Parliament that are privy to secrets is they make them privy 
councillors, so yeah. they become the right honourable. Now, it sounds like it's just a title, but actually that binds you by a more stringent level of security. Yeah, there you go. Warren, does that answer your question? Um, good knowledge, that. Yeah, that is good knowledge. I wonder, because one of the things that I find slightly suspicious, uh, Nigel, is that when it comes to all this thing that I've just said I won't mention, this whole party gate stuff, there does <laughs> seem to be one um, journalist who seems to be first in line for lots of the information that journalist has, uh, I think, a husband or whatever it is, that works in the civil service, etc. And there's a lot of questions being asked about how are some of these leaks allowed to happen? What's your answer to that? You're a journalist, well, you must get leaked. I'm sure there are. And as a journalist, uh, we don't discuss our sources, as you know. So um, <laughs> I have no idea where those leaks came from. Dominic uh, Cummings. And I wouldn't, ex I wouldn't expect to be told. But so, do you think that someone in the civil service or that someone uh, close to MPs, etc., should be allowed to just leak? I mean, I remember. Well, they're not allowed to, but I mean, obviously. It happens. Um, yeah. uh, the, the, I mean, people I've talked to uh, involved in Partygate, when I've done pieces about it, they've done it because they think it's in the public interest to get that material out there. So they tell me about it and I put it in the paper. See, see, I, I, see, see I, agree, I, agree, I agree with Nigel. When I worked in the House of Commons, when I worked at City Hall, when I worked for local authorities, I would, I would see it as my duty, principally as a public servant, to disclose things that are potentially embarrassing to my employer. The, re the reason is because you're, you're, not, you're not... A political party is paid to shine up a politician. A public servant is, okay. has a duty to look after the public interest. But I remember, unfortunately... Didn't always do it. Well, Didn't always do it. Unfortunately, I remember a bit too well something that I wish that I could un unsee and I can't, which is that CCTV in the... Um, Matt Hon Hancock, do you remember I'm not that? talking mm. about that. Talk about no, it. I'm talking mm. about that. that what I'm shocking. saying is, it yeah. was, you know, I wish that I could unsee it. But <laughs> what happens to the person who's leaked that footage? So there was an investigation just... and they didn't find them. So there was an investigation into, into the, how um, that, video, that video was made. I mean, the idea that Matt Hancock couldn't see the camera on the, on the, the ceiling was... No, was no, no the, the idea he filmed it deliberately is wrong. Do you know, funny something, uh, when I worked at City Hall, we had a major leak inquiry in our office. Right? And the reason what actually happened was one of our assembly members had accidentally installed... Uh, Ken Livingston's printer on his computer and was printing out loads of confidential. The reality is, these leak inquiries never go anywhere. Nobody has any clue what's going on. It's a waste of time. It can be well, necessary, though, to, to, for public servants, actually, for, for officers to occasionally... And they should be protected. And they should, and they should be protected. Whistleblowing is very important. Well, Joan from Devon says, Michelle, tell that guy on the left, she means you, Andre, <laughs> to stop turning his uh, back on the man far left from you, she means William. She said it's very bad manners. I don't, I don't kind, know what I'm supposed kind. to do. Very Maybe put I'm going to tell him. I'm going to move the shirt yeah. back. Yeah, I'm going to tell him. I might even give him a quick slap in the commercial break. Come on, we'll do sort it. Sort it out. <laughs> we'll see you guys. Let's talk strike, shall we? Uh, I didn't strike Andre, by the way. I just had a little jerk before I went to the break, and I've already been told on my email that I shouldn't jerk about slapping. So you'll be pleased to know, Andre. You have you, a happy slap I left you. I left you well alone. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. We just I was, had I was stern gutted. words. I was yeah, devastated. We had stern words in the break, so we did. Uh, but let's talk strike, shall we? Because uh, I'm wondering, are we about to head into a summer of strike action? The biggest rail union, the RMT, has balloted its members on whether or not to strike over pay and conditions. I think, actually, it just closed. I think the ballot closed about 5 o'clock tonight, so we'll know tomorrow uh, if this is going to affect railways up and down the country.
country. This is different, by the way, to some of the chat you might have heard recently about London and whether or not tube strikes uh, will be hitting the Jubilee weekend. Uh, with all this talk about strikes, the government is saying now it's thinking of introducing new laws to force minimum staffing numbers, which would essentially make strikes illegal. Nigel Nelson, pick up with you first on this. Where are you on it? Um, well, I'm absolutely appalled the government is trying to end the right to strike, because this is, this is what it amounts to. Um, whether you believe in this particular dispute or not is, is irrelevant, that um, workers must have the, the right to go on strike and for that strike to work. I used to be a union rep. I mean, uh, uh, in newspaper terms, it was a shop steward, basically. I always felt that if I'd led uh, our members out on strike, I'd failed. So all the way through, I was looking for a way of negotiating. But the whole point of that is, <laughs> without having that in your back pocket, you don't have any negotiating clout. So the right to strike should be just that, a right to strike. And if you are... The government is bringing in laws to ruin that, to stop the, the, effectively stop the strike having any point at all, that is taking away the last bastion the unions have to be able to try and get decent conditions. And if you look at the way, over the last 50 years, the way that wages have gone down and the difference between the top and the bottom. So um, 50 years ago, uh, boardroom pay would be 60 times the average worker. It's now 180 times. Somewhere along the way, someone's got to try and redress that balance, and that's where the unions come in. And we're going to come on to this kind of the whole wealthy and tax of the wealthy in, in a couple of minutes. But for now, before I just bring in the other two, do you think, because you just said basically you've, you should have it in your back pocket, have the right to do that, but do you not think there should be some limits? I mean, we are in a situation now... You know, a lot of the country is on its knees. People are really struggling uh, with their finances. We've got a war in Europe, which is going to have larger consequences here. We've had everything up and down coronavirus. We've just had coming out of Brexit. Surely what we need now is a little bit of stability. Yeah, I hope there won't be a strike. I hope that actually that um, the RMT can negotiate a settlement uh, with the, the rail companies and we don't get there. But the, the point I'm making is that if you don't have that chance of doing it, uh, if you can't go out, go out on strike, you're never going to get to that negotiating position. You're never going to get de uh, decent wages. So that's why I think they should do it. And I've never heard, by the way, of a strike going ahead that people didn't object to for a whole load of reasons, whatever they, they might have been at the time. Um, William, I'll bring you in. But just to be clear, by the way, so 50% uh, of the members need to vote in this uh, ballot. 40% of them need to vote uh, yes to the action for it to go ahead. Uh, William, where do you stand on all this? Uh, I think we're, gonna, we're in for a, a very difficult six months, year, year and a half, actually, um, largely because of loose fiscal policy and loose monetary policy and you, you've got inflation taking. So... It's going to, we're going to have, it's a bit like the 70s, isn't it? We're going to have some chop. I think I accept, I mean, in principle, you've got to have the right to, to withdraw your labour. I accept that. But there are situations. Uh, prison officers can't strike. It's very rare for the police, police to strike. Yeah. yeah. So there are categories where you'd say strategically, actually, we're not going to accept that and we, we have a different situation. Uh, it, the SDP is in favour of uh, railway nationalisation. We want the railways to be an emblem of pride and invest in them and have a proper system from Caithness to... To Cornwall, uh, if the RMT got very militant, I could see a case for uh, no strike clauses, and I could see a case for the government having a, a remuneration but what do you committee. Very, you just said if well, we, we get we, very militant, we haven't. We're not there yet. I mean, despite what you had with Southern Rail, which was appalling, and that did uh, inconvenience a lot of people. It's very, very difficult. But uh, I don't think we're there yet. 
I, I think we've, we've got to the stage where you, you describe uh, people that work on the railways in the same category as prison officers. Mm. Andre? Well, look, I mean, let's just be clear on something. What we forget in this country is the labour and trade union movement, whatever you think about it, dragged uh, the civil and human rights of this country out of the toilet. When we had the, um, the Industrial Revolution, it was vital that people started working towards having their own rights. Look, the, you know, the, the, the prohibition of strike, the opposite of that in many cases is slavery. And I'll tell you why. Because if you are obliged to be here, then it's no longer a job, it's, it's, it's an act of slavery. Here's my point about it. Look, I've no problem with the pro... I've, I've made a problem with the prohibition on strikes. But what you've got to do is say, look, is this a strike or is this a deliberate attempt to harass the public? If a strike is grossly uh, disproportionately damaging to the public, i.e. you've got a £50 dispute on TfL and you've decided to shut down London as a result, then it's only right and proper that the trade union's members pay damages towards those affected. So let me just say how that would work. So it's perfectly fine for rail drivers to go off on strike, but they will have to pay every single passenger for their taxi journeys as a result of them doing it. That doesn't mean they can't go out on strike. That gives them every right to do it, Nigel. That is absolutely... It gives them... No, no, I'll tell you why it's not nonsense. I'll tell you why it's not nonsense. Because the reason you are doing it is because you know that you do a billion pounds of damage to the economy that has nothing to do with your dispute. You pay the billion pounds. Well, Don says, I'm a retired railway conductor and I'm a team member, and I want to point out that these strikes and nothing to do with the drivers. Drivers mainly belong to Aslef. This strike That's is true. our empty. It's about closing <coughs> booking offices and removing conductors, making trains driver-only operated. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, you know, his point there is it's not about drivers doing X, Y, Z and you sending them, making them pay for taxes. They would argue it's about safety. Well, I worked, I, I worked very closely because I worked for the Member of Parliament for Morecambe and many people watching this will be aware of the Hesham nuclear power station, both of them. Um, we worked very closely Come with here, the nuclear... Let me turn you around. There you go. Sorry. I need Sorry. to be able to see this nice uh, young man next to you as well. I keep moving. Look, it's just because I'm big, right? What you need is a smaller one here. Yeah, get, breathe get, in. Get, breathe get in. Darren Grimes sat here. You'll be all right. Anyway, <laughs> but, come on. But, 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 I don't know what to do now. Yeah, but, come on. Uh, but I was involved with the nuclear trade unionists and they were brilliant because what they would do is principally be concerned with health and safety issues, which, as you can imagine, in nuclear power stations is important. Look, I don't have a problem with somebody turning around as a rail driver, rail conductor and saying, I'm concerned about safety. My, my worry is that why is it always the train drivers? Why is it always the rail staff? The reason is because they know they can get away with it and the reason they can get away with it is because they can shut down the economy. And my argument argument is, let's stop them from doing that by making them pay the bill. Well, Liam has written in saying, Michelle, your first speaker talks utter rubbish. It means you, Nigel. Of course he does. He says, <laughs> he says a skeleton... Thanks, yeah, he says a, a skeleton staff to cover all... to cover the strikes to allow movement of people, passengers, is not a huge request. He says, their leaders are communists and want to cause maximum disruption right. for all right and fair-minded people. They don't have the right to do this. Well, I mean, all I can, can, I can say to Liam is, yes, they 
should have the right to do this and the government are trying to stop them. And yes, there are, there are health and safety concerns and that would, would, would uh, come about by getting rid of two, two and a half thousand maintenance workers, which is what they're talking about. Um, we are talking about people who are low paid, not so much train drivers anyway. The point that come, it, it comes down to, though, the only way I can see that the government should intervene, and this is rather like uh, happened during the, the general strike in the 20s, is if food is not getting through, if essential su supplies are not getting through to people, it will be hugely inconvenient to passengers not to be able to use trains. But if you actually allow the passengers to use the trains because you break the strike, the strike becomes pointless. What about, what about my right to, to, to operate the trains? Why can't the companies bring in their own workers if they want to? I don't have a problem with you withdrawing labour, but you have to give the right of the employer to bring in alternative staff. Well, then, then we're in this P&O situation. Mm. And the last thing we want is the railways to turn into a P&O. If that's the way industrial relations are going ahead in this country, yeah, but, we yeah, really yeah, are yeah, in yeah, trouble. But the, the system worked with P&O because they brought in terrible staff and the regulator stopped them from operating the ships. That's fine as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, my, they shouldn't have, should have brought them in the first place. Yeah, but, in the first but, place. but it doesn't it doesn't bother the passengers because they, there was a prohibition on well, them it did, operating. Because the, the ferries didn't work. Yeah, well, you can get on insurance. <laughs> Uh, Michael says, Michelle, workers should have the right to strike, but then the employer should also have the right to withdraw their employment. The sentiment coming through at the moment is people are lucky to have jobs, never mind striking. But someone here says, please don't mention my name. Call me Joe Bloggs. Uh, so Joe Bloggs says, uh, I'm currently working for this certain railway company. We have been working all the way through COVID, sometimes waking up at 3 to 4 a.m. We've had no pay rise in three years and the cost of living is going up. Bigger management got over 10 grand pay rises and basically said that if we, don't, if we want one, we'll have to earn it. He ends by putting in big capital letters, this is a disgrace and if we don't stand up for our rights now, they will soon be going after our pensions. That says Joe Bloggs. Joe uh, Bloggs is right. I, I think the, well, the other point is actually that the labour market's changed massively in the last few years and look at ScotRail. You know, they're, they're struggling to get enough staff so actually the market partly will determine this. You'll have is to that, pay people more. Where are we with Scott Real? Is that nationalised now? Nationalised, yeah, but they, 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 they're struggling. They've cut the services by a third because of staff shortages. So you, I, I think in the end, the market will have some... They're off 2.2%. Train drivers are paid very well anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to shock it, and everyone's going to jump at me. I believe in privatisation of the railways. At the moment, the railways are principally under the public sector. Those elements that have been put because into the private sector... The, 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 the reality is the, the strategic direction, the ticket prices, all of the infrastructure decisions, all of the financing is decided by government. All that happens is you have a, a sign on the side of your rail car and they employ the drivers and the conductors. That is largely irrelevant. There is no system in the world that's privatised. The state does the heavy lifting. We may as well be honest about it. Get it uh, yeah, but, reintegrated. Yeah, but what you said, remember, is you believe in nationalisation of the railways. Yeah. What I'm saying is it's nationalised right now. It isn't. It's, the, it's actually the worst of, of all worlds now. It's the wor well, it's worst. Well, that's they have a silly, silly system. Yeah, of, of, yeah it's a, a partial, hybrid. They play, play, you know, trains with different colours. The heavy lifting's done by the state and we should be honest about it. Yeah, well, that's fair. Campbell says, I'm a nurse and I'm not legally allowed to strike, so surely any other public service like train drivers, etc., shouldn't be allowed yeah. to strike either. 
also lots of people coming through. Again, as I've just said, another one just about saying um, you should be grateful to have any job at all. Never mind striking. What do you think to that? Uh, I told him, ladies and gentlemen, Andre, stop turning his back. He didn't stop turning his back. So, look, he's gone to the end. He's on the noise. All, yeah. all I've done is been fat. He's That's gone. it. You're, you're discriminating against me. He's gone to the end, and I've told him, if he doesn't pack it in, he can go sit in the next room. So, there you go. This is better. I can That's see everybody now. nothing wrong. Yes, there you go. We told him, ladies and gentlemen. Right, let's talk tax, shall we? Uh, do you want to pay more tax? Do you think you pay enough tax? A group of millionaires are lobbying the great and the good at the World Economic Forum this week to ask them to let them pay more tax. Their motive is to help reduce the gap between the richest in the world and the poorest. That's a very noble cause, some might say, but one of the things that I don't get is that you already can, if you want to pay more tax voluntarily, you already can write a cheque. And when you look at how much money has been raised uh, that way, by the way, over the recent years, it's been hardly anything at all. So all of these people that sit there begging, please, sir, let me pay more, don't talk nonsense. You can pay more already. But that aside, uh, William, do you think the wealthy uh, pay more ta enough tax? Do you think we should be taxing them more? It's too easy to avoid tax. Uh, and on a broader question, the question of inequality generally is, is, is inequality is getting worse. I mean, uh, we're a very, very, very divided society now. And I think uh, a divided society isn't a happy society. So I think there are many, many loopholes which the wealthy can, can take advantage of. You've got offshore use of uh, income and resources, and uh, it's a little bit too easy. I think the broader cultural problem is that too many people, to use get David Goodhart's expression, too many uh, people are anywhere, and they, you've got these people that are literally tourists in their own countries. I think it would be better if more of us had a sort of more rooted approach, a more domestic approach to, to life, and if you work and you get your prosperity from a state, you should pay uh, tax in that state. Mm. Nigel, here, here. I bet I bet I know what you're going to say. I'm going to ask you: Do you think the wealthy should pay more tax? If you say no to that question, I'm literally going to um, fall off my own. You chair would do, and, and, I, and I and I won't. Oh, um, there you go. I and of course, they should. The people who should pay the most tax are the people who can can most easily afford it. So what you have here is a, a group called Patriotic Millionaires. Yeah. It's an international group. Um, I was talking to the British branch of it um, uh, a few weeks ago, and they have written to uh, Rishi Sunak and said, can we pay, pay more tax? And Rishi Sunak said, what you did, uh, no, I'm not going to increase your tax, you pay enough. Um, what you should do is you should send any money in that yeah. you fancy, just write me a cheque. And how many their point, Hang on, their point is that's not the way to make it work. We, uh, people write, uh, sending money in uh, has ranged from 4p to £600,000 in the last 20 years and made about £8 million. Their argument is that... Anybody with, say, three and a half million, and there are 119,000 people in this country with that, if they paid a 5% wealth tax on that, you could pay for the national insurance increase twice over, you could employ 50,000 more nurses and build 35,000 more homes. So I need That's to, what they want to do. So let me just ask you a couple of questions. Um, because first and foremost, I, if I was Rishi Sunak, I would push back on these people. If they were saying to me, oh, we're sending in a cheque is not the answer, what I would say is, no, but it's a, it's a 
immediate compromise. So if you're really desperate to pay a tax... It doesn't make any level, difference. Well, of course it does. If you're putting extra um, cash into... No, they're, the, they're talking the, about raising sort of 43 billion. This is what, what they can do through their, their wealth. And, Robert. you know, I mean, one of them I was talking to was saying, look, I live off my wealth. I don't even pay national insurance on the basis of that. I want to help people who are struggling because so they do. So send your cheques in then in the meantime. But let me just ask you this before I bring um, Andre <laughs> in. £3.5 million. Pounds. Now, if you're watching this, I don't know. I'll pick Hull because it's where I'm from. £3.5 million pounds sounds like an awful lot of money. If you're in London, for example, £3.5 million, pounds, I'd be interested to know what that means. Is that liquid cash? Is that assets? Because some people could have bought a home for, I don't know, 500 grand, and it's now worth... Some of these are investments that it's, they're, it's... Getting, they're getting money back on. And, and the actual three and a half million, it's at least that. You're talking about people who will have 50, 60, 70 million. And these, this group of people have got together and said, we can afford to pay more tax. We would like to. Rishi, please tax us more. And he refused. Nigel, it's easier to tax a flow, though. Do you accept? It's easier to tax an income flow than a, than a stock. It's, you know, without, without a doubt. And, and, and here's the reason. If, I, if this phone is worth £100 and you decide to tax me 5% and I don't have the £5 in my pocket, what do I do? Sell it? And, and a, lot of these, a lot of this wealth is hypothetical. So we often turn around and we say, oh, Elon Musk is, I, I don't know, 10 billion richer than he was last year. But that's 10 billion on a hypothetical increase in the value of his stock, which he has no intention of selling. So he hasn't actually got the money in his bank account. I think this is incredibly dangerous. And I'll tell you what's incredibly dangerous more than anything else. This concept, we had a, a court ruling decades ago, probably 100 years ago, by the High Court, you do not have a duty to maximise your tax. You have a right to pay whatever the minimum tax burden is. And increasingly, we are becoming a society where, arbitrarily, the government, the Chancellor can say, oh, I don't like how much you pay in tax, I think you should pay more. We found it already, bizarrely, with the order of the British Empire, where if you do not pay an amount of tax that the HMRC likes, even if you behaved legally, you're prohibited from receiving an honour at enter the famous footballer you and I have talked about before, mm. right? But, but uh, who, by the way, has not committed any offence whatsoever. What about but, a windfall tax on the oil giants who are making so much money but, 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 when, the but, when, but, but the But the big problem is with all of this, you talk about loopholes and then you create new ones by saying, let's have a, uh, a, a windfall tax on this. In it's reality... In re no, but it is a loophole. Because the reality is, when you tax somebody more for something than you do for somebody else... You've created a loophole can, by definition. I, the, rea the, the, the reality a one -off, is we need, we need, we need a simple. A we need we need a simple taxation system, and, and and most importantly than anything else, you have to admit that. Uh, wealthy people pay a huge amount in tax. The problem we've got in this country is the waste. I mean, if you turn around and you say, I want to pay more tax for public services, have you seen the amount we tip down the toilet in local government on pensions and other things? But it's a that's waste a, that's of money. a separate... That's but a separate... No, well, it's not a separate... Nigel in on the windfall tax thing, because one of my concerns that I've got about tax sometimes is that I feel when we converse about tax, it almost becomes... Um, like a, a football, a political and emotional football. Mm. So people will say stuff like, tax the wealthy, yay! And it'll be, to me, often formed out of jealousy rather than any kind of really... Yeah, sometimes it does come economic out of yeah. policy. And when we talk about windfall taxes, one of my concerns that I've got here 
is that we don't have a, a taxation or an economic policy in this country where we just randomly decide to pick and choose, right, today, you've made a bit of dough, I'll have a little bit of that extra on top. Right. We have a tax structure, whether you agree with it or you disagree with it, it's a different discussion. We have a defined tax structure, and then as a business, you know that these are the confines and boundaries and barriers in which I operate. When a government then decides, actually, you've had a touch of luck there, so I'll have a little bit of that, it disrupts that kind of um, stability of the market in which you operate as a business. And it would make you slightly reluctant going forward because now you're operating from a certain territory into an uncertain territory. And by the way, when we talk about windfall taxes, why do we seem to just draw the line at the oil and gas? Because delivery companies had a huge boost in profits over mm -hmm. COVID. People are sitting at home. Uh, food takeaway places, they had a boost in profits. Pharmaceutical companies, don't even get me started on them. Testing companies. So why, if you want a windfall tax, do you niche in just on energy companies? Because it's energy. the cost of energy is the biggest problem facing people when it comes to the cost of living crisis. So at the moment, because the price of oil has gone up, the energy companies have made vast profits. Even they admit that, they're just awash with money. So, um, to uh, give them a windfall tax of 10% over a year, you're only talking about a year, that would help people Nigel, with, their, with their energy bills. Th and when it comes but, but down to dealing with the delivery companies, yeah, let's do that. The trouble with them, of course, is that they are offshore. But Nigel, what Michelle's point was, I think, much more sophisticated than, than, than the answer you've given, which was this. If suddenly you can be incredibly arbitrary about this and just decide, I fancy your money, I fancy your money, then actually you come across the major problem with taxation and the reason why Conservatives like me, defend billionaires. Because time and time again, the principle is established with the billionaires, but the other guy is you. When people are saying, tax well, more, 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 the other guy is you. Probably well, not. We're not, we're, well, we're not... Very quick, quick as you possibly can, because I've only got about 10 seconds. Well, we're not talking about the causes of the inequality in the first place, which is chief executives getting paid 60 times more than their employees, and that's wrong, and people know it's wrong. Well, there you go, and that, my friends, is a debate for another day. But for now, thank you very much for your time, panel. Uh, KF says, I don't know your name, you just identify as KF. You say, Michelle, making the rich poor will not make the poor rich. There you go. Uh, that's it from me for another night. You have a great evening and I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.